Well, welcome today, uh, the Midwest Technology Campus Podcast. Today we have Luke Greiner, uh, the Labor Market Analyst with DEED. Uh, he's out of the Labor Market Information Office. Um, for those of you that have met Luke, uh, you've probably heard him speak in meetings around, maybe around the state, but for sure around the region, uh, Kandiwai County in this area. Welcome, Luke. Thank you. Uh, Luke, um, I know that uh, we have been in some of the same meetings around here, you know, uh, the hot topic lately is workforce. Yeah. So um, you're our special guest today. Now that we're talking workforce, it makes all me things popular. workforce. Yes, <laughs> you are popular. Um, tell us about yourself, where you're located. How, how did you get into um, this kind of information labor market? It doesn't seem that yeah. like you would go to college and say, this is what I want to do. No. Um, and my path to here is super messy, kind of probably similar to a lot of people's paths, but, you know, I, uh, I started working, uh, for the department in a different capacity doing workforce development. And I just kind of, um, s- interacted with the person that held this job before me, Cameron, who now is my uh, manager, but he had left to take a different position and I had filled in for a few presentations for him, uh, prior. And he just, um, was able to give me some more information and cause I really didn't know the extent of what he did. And, uh, I've always enjoyed economics. I mean, the first book I read outside of an assigned book in school, I think I was in seventh grade. I wrote, uh, I read a uh, retirement planning book. It's in just, seventh grade. Yeah. I still have it. Wow. Um, okay. Fascinating book. Every parent's opinion. wish right there. Their seventh <laughs> grader to read an economics book. <laughs> It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to actually do what it says to do, right? Okay, so did you do the things that it told you to do? Pretty, yeah, pretty well. Okay, right there. I yep. like finance. Check. That's yeah. a good score right there. Yeah, so probably, you know, a passion for personal finance coupled with being analytical just in general. Um, you know, not a real fun person at a party, I suppose, but made me a real good fit for the job. <laughs> so I ended up getting hired. Um in this capacity, and what was that, 2014, I believe? Okay. And uh, so I'm a labor market analyst. I study, research, write publications about the economy, uh, primarily for central and southwest Minnesota. So from Pine County, north of the Twin Cities, all the way west to Big Stone. Okay. South to Rock, bordering Iowa, and kind of that 27-odd counties in between. So. so are there other people that do the same thing you do in the state of Minnesota? Yeah, Yep. So I have two areas, okay. uh, two planning areas, central and southwest. But otherwise, uh, we have Carson up in northeast. He's in Duluth. Mark is in Winona for southeast. And Tim is in uh, the Twin Cities. And then our northwest, which, you know, could maybe be Bemidji, Moorhead, um, Grand Forks, you know, kind of that area, mm-hmm. Fergus Fall, is open. So we are looking for Oh, you're working. hiring. Yeah, okay. We are hiring. It's uh, it's not yet posted, but it will be, and uh, we're hoping we can find some good candidates. So like what kind of else. person would apply for a job like that, that, you know, a, an economics major? Somebody with an economics background would be uh, fantastic, even uh, like uh, rural planning. Oh, okay. Um, it's a unique position, though, because you not only have to be able to write and analyze data, uh, but you also have to be able to do outreach. So doing things like this, doing interviews, uh, doing presentations, providing trainings. You know, our department or my office within our department creates basically all the economic data for the state. Everything okay. from the unemployment rate to uh, the employment release, you know, that's widely reported on what's going on every month. 
when we we produce so much data, but it really just doesn't do much good unless people know where to get it and what it means. Right. And that's kind of the other side of our job is helping folks interpret like what does it mean when the unemployment rate goes down or what is what does it mean when our labor force participation rate changes? Uh, that's kind of what we're here for. Right. So when you say trainings, what kind of trainings do you offer? Yeah, these are uh, riveting trainings that you probably <laughs> will be on the edge of your seat the entire time where I will go over where our data is located, how to access it, how to use it. Uh, and these trainings, you know, they're provided at no cost uh, pretty much all the time. And they are totally custom. So if you want to know about just job vacancies or you just want to know, how do I find what wages employers are paying in my area? You know, that's like a really popular data set because, uh, you know, we survey employers and ask them, uh, well, what are you, you know, what's the going rate or what are you paying folks? And then employers can take that and use it in the future to understand how they rank against their local competition in each region. But uh, so whether or not you want a like a full blown three hour, let's get through LMI, labor market information, or maybe just a half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, those are those are the type of trainings that I've provided. And, and I do that for private companies, uh, local municipalities, education districts, uh, workforce development agencies, uh, economic development agencies. I mean, the media, really anybody that wants it. Okay. So. Um, I'm interested in when you mentioned private companies. Yeah. So, um, and you, you don't have to share names or anything, but tell me about, uh, <laughs> tell me about when they reach out to you, what kind of, how does that go? How does, you know, when you go in and you meet with them, are you meeting with the president of the company? Are you meeting with their HR people or marketing people or how does that work? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, a, a lot of what I do is by request. So there's certain functions that I, you know, am kind of required to do, for instance, um, be involved with the workforce development boards. So for this area, it'd be Central Minnesota Jobs and Training. To the south, it'd be the Private Industry Council. You know, and those are kind of reoccurring. I, you know, maybe like an ex-officio um, operating in that type of capacity. But as far as private companies go, that is, boy, it, anybody. It, some, so sometimes it's the CEO that'll reach out to me. Sometimes it's HR that'll reach out to me marketing. It really depends on what they want. So for instance, the CEO could be trying to figure out what direction they should be going with their strategic plan. You know, maybe they're looking at an expansion in the future and they want to know, is this area's labor force going to be able to support this expansion? So that would maybe be an executive level conversation that I'm having with them. Uh, you know, maybe further down the road, they decide to go ahead with it and they're looking to market to the area. So then maybe their director of marketing would reach out to me and say, you know, we want to show that our area has lower cost of living and people don't have to drive as far, something like that. And then when it comes to actually filling the jobs, a lot of times that's where human resources will contact me and ask, like, these are the occupations we're looking to hire. How much should we be offering? You know, what's competitive? So all over the board. I mean, I've worked with everything from colleges to churches okay. and uh, any, anybody that employs somebody is basically a potential customer so okay well and i'm thinking um novatech engineering is one of the owners of the midwest campus and uh, they have over 300 people that work in their organization but they also have about 30 job openings and a it's a lot and as you know they're hiring people every week and 
So as I'm trying to think of it in their shoes, um, you know, what does that look like? What, what kind of information would they want to reach out to you for, you know? Yeah. And sometimes they don't know. So, right. Yeah. So let, so Novatech, for instance, since you brought them up, uh, let's say they were struggling to fill those 30 and I don't know if they are, uh, everybody seems to be struggling. Yeah. Right. And so maybe, you know, like sometimes I'll get a request like that where they, they just don't know. They, they want some information that can help them. And they'll say, you know, these are the openings that we have. These are the most difficult to fill. And then I'll kind of walk them through like these. So I never really tell companies what they should be doing because uh, I'm not an employer. I don't mm-hmm. run a company. I'm not qualified for that. But I can explain information to help them make their decisions. Things like uh, in your area, like these are the most demanded occupations. These have the most openings. So you're going to be competing against you know, a small labor pool against a lot of employers looking to fill those same positions. I can explain, you know, the the wage offers that employers are providing, you know. So for this opening, maybe they're offering $22 an hour. And for mm-hmm. that opening, for that occupation, maybe a different amount. And then also kind of walk them through, because an opening is one thing, but then also retention. You know, what does the wage scale look like? And... Uh, what is entry-level skill wage compared to um, maybe a more veteran employee? Uh, but even thing, looking at things like educational requirements. You know, I've had um, companies reach out and say, we, you know, we can't, we can't raise our wages. We can't fill this position. What else can we do? And mm-hmm. it's a little bit on the peripheries of what my expertise is in. Uh, we have some workforce strategy consultants that kind of work on those strategies. But you know, it's it's in my wheelhouse to show them these are the educational attainment levels for people that do this job. So let's say you want to hire a director of marketing and you say, we need somebody with a bachelor's degree. I can look and show somebody in Minnesota, people that work as a director of marketing have this type of education and say maybe 10% have a high school diploma and 30% mm-hmm. have a two-year degree, 40% have a four-year degree. And sometimes that can help just thinking about all these different aspects of a occupation that they might be putting on their job posting that's filtering out potential applicants. Oh, sure. Know? So how can, if you can't make more people, right. that's pretty tough, um, or at least more workers, I should say. We can make more people, but it takes a while to get them to work, right? 18 years, roughly. And if you can't necessarily increase wages, which is you know, kind of the low-hanging fruit as far as creative thinking through this process, mm-hmm. what else can you do? Is there... Uh, flexibilities in the position, uh, who are you trying to target this to? Because mm-hmm. uh, some, you know, some companies, they really target certain demographics. Right. You know, think of our, like, public transit. A lot of um, retirees take that as their their encore career, right? Sure. Retire and then take a uh, part-time job. So kind of helping them think, well, or, or even just looking at the area and, and showing this is the largest pool of untapped labor. Sure. Looking at the unemployment rate, uh, since the pandemic started, a, a, a huge, you know, like 100,000 people left our labor force in Minnesota. That's really a, a linchpin. But then understanding who, who is that, you know? Right. What, what skills do they have? How old are they? What do they look like? What might they be interested in? All that type of information, I guess, uh, is kind of what I try to bundle in a concise email okay. and send it to somebody so they don't have to think through all the nuances. So. Okay. I, I did hear you speak um, 
a couple months ago um, when you spoke in Wilmer at an event, but uh, very super high level, um, maybe give those uh, who are listening that don't know kind of an overview of the labor market. You started to talk a little bit about 100,000 people yeah. left during the pandemic, um, but maybe uh, talk a little bit more about the labor market and maybe the craziness of it, of yeah. what's happening. And yeah. some of those statistics, I think, you know, we all hear it on the news, but we don't really know like that. Yeah, it's hard to wrap your head around. So in Minnesota, we have, you know, roughly 3 million workers. Um, you know, that's doesn't really mean anything, you know, without context. But that real short period in the beginning of the pandemic, a whole bunch of people left the labor market and they've been slowly coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are, we have fewer workers now. Right. And at the same time, you know, like if you look at the labor force in isolation of consumer demand and uh, stimulus and other programs that the federal government implemented that uh, basically increased people's demand for consumable items, durable goods, while we have greater demand right. of products and services, uh, you know, now with fewer workers. And that is you know, a good explanation, a good portion of the problem of everything from inflation to supply chain constraints. A lot of it basically boils down to people. Right. Yeah. So um, I, I seem to remember one time you explained, um, it, it, you explained it so well, how do you come up with the unemployment rate? Yeah. Because I think a lot of people maybe don't understand that. So in very yeah. simple form, I think people might think they understand it, but mm-hmm. you had said some things um, that I thought, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you know? so most most people assume that the unemployment rate is just, you know, some sort of function of the people that are receiving unemployment insurance. And that's not actually the case. Uh, thankfully, because especially during the pandemic when we had two entirely new um, unemployment insurance programs, you know, it would totally skew those numbers. So how we actually create the unemployment rate is we survey households. There's the current population survey or CPS, if you want to fit in with the economic <laughs> wonks. And that's sent out to households and it's, it asks them basically, are you working? Um, if you're not working, are you looking for work? And uh, in order to be in the labor force, you first, kind of the first criteria is you have to be at least 16 years old there's no upper end limit so you know if you're 95 and you receive the survey and you're working or looking for work you're still in the labor force but okay so you have to be 16 years or or older and then the next thing is you either have to be working or actively looking for work and if you're one of those two things you're in the labor force if you're not working and not actively engaged in work seeking activities you can see how I'm getting like yep. very, this is sounding like a government policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you might be some other classification, but you're not in the labor force. So if you are not actively looking, mm-hmm. you're, no, you're not counted here. Uh, you're counted, but you're not. So there's many buckets that you could fall in. So you could be employed, unemployed, right, and um so um, employed, unemployed, and not in the labor force. And then within the unemployment, we publish what's called the U3 measure, which is the official unemployment rate. Okay. But there's actually six measures of unemployment. Okay. So let's wow. say uh, let's say my boss watches this interview 
and uh, he cans me because he's like, Luke, you did awful. All right, so I file for unemployment insurance. <laughs> That'll <I'm>, never happen. <laughs> I'll file for unemployment insurance, and let's say I'm looking, I'm actively looking every week, you know, submitting resumes, getting in touch with employers. Okay, I'm actively engaged. Mm-hmm. But let's say some time passes, and I think, you know what? It's summer's right around the corner, or... I'm going to uh, hang out at the lake. I'm hang out at the lake. Or let's just say that nobody's getting back to me, and mm-hmm. I'm starting to get the blues, and mm-hmm. I think, this is hopeless which is kind of like the more legit thing. Let's say you're unemployed, you're not working, but you do want a job, mm-hmm. but you just haven't looked recently, like in the last 12 months or something sure. like that. Then you might fall into like marginally attached, which means you want a job, you just don't have one. Or let's say you're unemployed, you're, you you want a job, but you can't get a job due to maybe childcare, or mm-hmm. transportation issues. You know, then that's another category. Um, maybe you can't find a full-time job or something like that. So you have all these other measures. But, you know, really when it comes down to it, um, that's what we're looking at is if you're not working and you want a job and you're actively looking, that is that is what we look at as, as far as unemployment. Yep. Yep. And if you take that group and the group that is working, those two combined is our labor force. Okay. Yeah. Okay, because, I mean, that's what we hear on the news all the time when we talk workforce. Yeah. I mean, they're quoting these statistics. Yeah. Now, I don't know if they're right every time, but, I mean, I don't know where they get their information. Should be us. It should be you guys. Us, you know, we, we do it for BLS, basically, a partnership with the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So, okay. Um, Hopefully they go there. You hope okay. so. Yes. So, um, one of the things I remember you talking about was um, the senior population. Yeah. And how they exited the workforce. Big time. And didn't come back. They haven't yet. And uh, aren't planning to, maybe. Maybe. You know, yeah. Everybody, you know, and that's, so this is really where you get into, I think, what's really interesting about looking at the labor force. So we can say in broad strokes that workers 55 plus exited the labor force in mass numbers. They represent nearly half of the workers that left. Okay. Now, why they left and why they would come back is going to be different for every single person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you look at the 65 plus group, uh, they've come back at even lower rates. 55 plus, you know, you group that up. There's been some upward progress in, in terms of their participation rate. But reasons why they might have left, we had a super strong uh, stock market, which is, you know, really tied to savings yes. and your retirement accounts. Reca- yeah, yeah. Uh, a public health crisis. There's a pandemic um, that was more detrimental to older people. And uh, and then a lot of jobs changed and not necessarily for the better for a lot of people. Sure. So if you've been doing a job and you've loved it for your whole career, maybe 30, 40 years, and all of a sudden uh, everything that you've loved about that job gets flipped upside down. Now you're no longer surrounded by the coworkers that you feel like they're for your family and you're isolated at home, working from home, using technology that's maybe frustrating. I think it helped them make some decisions if they mm-hmm. were sitting on the fence. You know? yeah. um, so a lot of companies in rural Minnesota are trying to figure out that next generation yeah. and what that next generation, what they actually want. 
So um, is it flexible work schedules? Is it flex- flexible work locations, unlimited vacation? Now that sounds really good. Yeah. But um, do you have any statistics on what do what does the young workforce actually want? It, that is really hard to pinpoint. And I guess thankfully, maybe maybe unfortunately, I'm no longer part of the next, right? For a while <laughs> I was the, the mysterious millennials. And, you know, similar conversations happened right after the Great Recession. And it was, uh, I always likened it to what my grandparents lived through during the Depression. Like, this stark economic time totally shaped our perception of work and life and security. And I think that next generation, Gen Z or whatever you want to call them, they have this pandemic that's going to be somewhat of a scar. Mm-hmm. Um Oddly, the the difference between like the Great Recession and now for young people, the recovery out of it is completely different. So in the Great Recession, people flocked to college uh, because there was no jobs available. That was me. I got out of the military and I couldn't get a job to save my soul. So I started going to school. I was like, well, the GI Bill will pay me to go to college. Sure. I might as well go to college. Um, it was a great decision for me. Now... The current generation that's coming out of this, after decades of fewer and fewer young, like teenagers and young 20-year-olds working, mm-hmm. the pandemic reversed that. And, you know, it's obviously not just the pandemic, but it's the labor market in general. We have some unbelievable wage growth going on, albeit being erased by inflation, but still, like, people anchor their mind to maybe say, I won't go to work for less than 15, and all of a sudden, 15 is kind of a going rate. Right. And I think employers are just having to pay enough where our youngest workers can't ignore that. So it is pulling them in. And then also, there's just less competition for their time. You know, or there has been. I well, Now, we'll see how this year shapes up, but, you know, think about large social gatherings, going to mm-hmm. concerts, sporting events, like maybe things that teenagers and young 20-year-olds would rather do than work if they could afford that. Uh, those were kind of wiped clean the last couple of years. So I think work just became a better option sure. than sitting at home or doing nothing. So I think that our youngest workers, what they're getting a taste of this labor market and they're getting a taste of it during unprecedented flexibility and kind of your work location situation, you know, as far as work from home or flexible scheduling, things like that. I would find it unlikely that people that have had a taste of flexibility would prefer to have less flexibility. I mean, I can't think of the logic of why you would say, you know what, it's been great being able to choose between coming in or staying home Mm -hmm. or some sort of mix, but I'd rather let you tell me what I should do now. Right. So I think that flexibility, even if you want to rein it in, uh, I think it's kind of a benchmark in a lot of people's minds. And it's not just younger people. It's, you know, there's surveys, all sorts of places. They'll do surveys of workers and ask them if they'll go back to the office and what they think about going back to the office. And some workers want to, but a huge portion don't. Right. So um, it's interesting that you bring that up because I would say about two to three years ago, if someone would have said to me, um, are your companies out at the campus? Are they working uh, remotely? I would have said 100% no. Yeah. You know, we're all about, you know, coming together and, you yeah. know, being together as a group and social times and things like that. And then, of course, the pandemic comes and 
some of those things were eliminated and everyone took precautions. But now I see more of the um, acceptance mm-hmm. of, hey, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'll join the meeting, but just get, send me a link. Send me a Zoom link, a Teams link or something. Yeah. And I'll, I'll join the meeting that way. And it's acceptable. And I didn't see that two years ago. No, I think managers across sectors at different levels have had to get more comfortable with trusting that their workers are doing work at home. And kind of to that point, especially on the next generation, uh, there I, I know of instances, uh, even a, a neighbor of mine, he's never met his boss. Like, oh, wow. You know, there's a lot of companies that brought people on board and they've never physically met a coworker. Right. And so, so while I think young people probably enjoy that flexibility, I have to believe there's some pent up demand for real interactions that, you know, they were kind of cheated out of. They, right. They, they have not really experienced um, a company picnic. Things right. like that, you know, those team building experiences. I mean, whether or not you think they work or not, uh, people do them for a reason. Right. And a lot of people have never had one. I, I don't know. I, I have to say I did not work at home during the pandemic. Um, I had a couple family members that did. And I know that, um, you know, I came to my office every day. I got to shut my door. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a lot of people around. And it was good. Um, but I did miss all the the busyness yeah. out on campus. And so... I don't think I, I well I do know about myself that I'm very productive. You know, when I, I can hunker down and I can just crank out the work. Um, but I do like coming to the office. Yeah. And that's just me. That's not everybody. But I do like coming to the office. I just feel like you get up for the day, you leave the house, you get in your car, it's that drive to work, you're thinking, getting things on your mind and getting yeah. ready as you unlock your office door. And um, same thing as when you go home, you start to unwind a little bit. Um, I enjoy that. I realize I'm probably the exception to the rule. <laughs> but um, I've heard my kids even say that, that they couldn't wait to get back to the office yeah. because they were working remotely. And, yeah. you know, they're young adults. So, you know, maybe they learned that from me. I'm not really sure. Um, I have another question here. Are they? Are there any um, con- contrasting trends between urban and rural labor markets? And, you know, what are you seeing there? How are they related or how do they affect each other? Sure. And, um, yeah, I so... Think, I think we all think about that, but I yeah. don't know that we all talk about that. You know, there's uh, so many ways to slice that urban and rural um, labor market divide. You know, so we have a cheaper cost of living out here than there is in the Twin Cities, but our jobs typically pay less and things like that. Although usually the the decrease in the cost of living exceeds the decrease in wages. So like there is a real good benefit for a lot of jobs. Typically where you see the biggest wage discrepancy is at the highest paying positions. Mm. Um, Not necessarily in the medical field, but you know, if you look at, uh, you know, engineering or architectural or um, computer professions, things like that, they typically have a wage premium in Mm -hmm. the twin cities and you just have more of those companies located there. Uh, during the pandemic and kind of that whole, the, the two-month recession, the preceding or succeeding recovery, rural Minnesota just did better. So okay. we lost fewer jobs. Um, you know, 
just a less of a dependence on that accommodation and food service. The leisure and hospitality sector is just a smaller piece of our economic pie here, with the exception of Northeast Minnesota. They're kind of a different, uh, they have a real different economy than like central Minnesota or Southwest or Northwest or Southeast. But at the end of the day, um, we've seen a huge transformation to a more mobile workforce. Yes. Due to the uh, the remote work, things like that. Now, we looked at our job vacancy survey that we do twice a year, and I think in central Minnesota, where we are here, only 2% of the openings by employers were telework optional. Wow. And I want to say it was well over, I, th- I think it was like, t- I want to say it was 12 or... 12% in the Twin Cities, it was quite a bit more. And it depends on the, you know, so if you're in a computer-type occupation, much more likely to be telework than, say, a production worker. Right, food production, things like that. They have yep. to be and on site. And we have more of those jobs here, so yes. it kind of explains that. But it also makes me think it's kind of an Achilles heel or a double-edged sword, really. So forever, we've been trying to think, how can we get more people to rural Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. And there's been campaigns, marketing campaigns, to try to bring people here from South Dakota or from the Twin Cities or somewhere else. And I personally have never really seen much success out of any of that um, just because people come and go and it's probably not because they saw a billboard. Um, but maybe it changes some minds. But now we have the ability to hire people anywhere in the world, really. Right. So it should be a benefit to rural companies looking to get that uh, maybe really specialized talent that is difficult to attract to, say, Candy, Ohio County or Swift County or something like that. So I think there's going to be a huge benefit for companies to do that. However, um, our workers here can also apply everywhere else. Mm -hmm. So when you look at kind of the price parity of employees, does that mean that rural companies will increase their wages on par with metropolitan areas? I mean, so you kind of have that structure. Uh, You know, even uh, like these Wall Street firms have, uh, and and other firms in big metropolitan areas, have made statements about paying their workers less unless they're working in this high-cost area. Oh, wow. So if you are employed by a firm in Manhattan, but you're doing your work in the panhandle of Oklahoma, where cost of living is significantly cheaper, should you still be make, be making Manhattan-level wages? And, right. You know, we haven't gotten there yet as far as how this will play out. But I think it's going to be a huge benefit to rural areas, first, because we will have access to more people, and two, it's really pushing uh, our broadband expansions mm-hmm. in rural Minnesota. Oh, yes. I forgot you know, about that. Um, be, I want to make sure we talk about this a little bit. Child care. Yeah. And uh, any statistics that you have recently come across the last couple of years on workforce and how does that relate to child care? Because I'm in the conversations that I'm having with some employers is that, you know, that is a they're trying to address some of that. And what what are you seeing? Uh, yeah, that is a that is a difficult situation. So our labor force isn't necessarily growing all that fast. You know, like in Minnesota statewide, it's just really, really slow growth, you know, is what we're hoping to see um, if some of these workers come back. 
And in rural areas, it's even slower. Um, a lot of areas looking possibly negative. So that's just the labor force, though. Like, how do we actually get more work out of what we have? Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be freeing up somebody that's watching their kid. And right. so I don't make a value judgment on whether you should be watching a child, your own child, or working for or an working. employer. working, yes. But what I do value is everybody's decision to make that right. choice. So if you want to work, you should be able to work and have child care. If you don't want to work and you want to stay home with your kid, you should be able to do that too, right? And in our rural areas, uh, child care is just, it's difficult. I mean, I have two kids in daycare, and um, my wife tells me when we're pregnant, and then we tell daycare. And then That's and nobody true. else knows for a long, long time. And it That's could true. be a lot. I mean, we even let them know when we're, we're trying just because if you wait, then you might have to be split up in other places or you might not get a spot. Mm-hmm. And that's challenging. We're not the only ones that do this. So what I've seen probably successfully kind of mitigate this is when employers, when private companies get creative. Uh, yes. A lot of times it takes some skin in the game. Yes. You know, there's uh, an employer that I know of that runs their own in-house daycare. Yes. Uh, they operate it as a nonprofit. They partner and do meals on wheels, so they get double duty out of the kitchen facility. Uh, works really well as far as, like, attracting top-notch technology occupations to a really rural, remote area, mm-hmm. uh, luring them out of the Twin Cities. However, I know that it's not it's not a profit-generating venture. It's time intensive there's liability issues it's a you know from the outside it looks like a nightmare to try to do (laughs) but the benefits are i mean it it has enabled that company to stay in a really remote spot right Uh, another strategy i've seen uh south of here is where you know like one of the one of the problems with childcare is demand fluctuates Mm -hmm. we don't have kids every three weeks and they can't keep you know just a total totally perfect, consistent amount of seats in childcare. So what happens in your community if your one or two daycare providers um, all of a sudden start losing enrollment? And and maybe it's not due to population decline or anything like that. It's just kind of that gap. You know, we see it in our schools where you have a big class and a small class. Well, before they got to school and that became an issue to hire teachers, it was an issue for childcare providers. So one employer, at least I know what they've done is um, – they basically subsidize that child care provider to maintain employment for their own staffing to keep their capacity even. Yes. So let's say we can have 20 uh, children and enrollment falls to 16. The employer pays for those other four seats just to keep them available. So that way the daycare provider doesn't lay off a staff and then have to drop their enrollment, maybe capacity down to 12 or something Mm -hmm. like that. So, you know, those are just a couple examples. Um, Obviously, more childcare providers. One of the, uh, like, the elephant in the room in the conversation is wages are low in that sector. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you ask people in childcare, they'll say, you know, the cure is to raise wages. And if you ask uh, other people that are paying them, they'll say, if you raise it too much, then we can't afford you. Right. So it's that situation, that relationship, is is really difficult. I think they're, you know. I think what you said is um, employers being creative when yeah. it comes to child care and um, hiring uh, top talent for their companies. I'm wondering if, you know, someday down the road, maybe the state or the federal government would 
um, provide some type of incentives for companies that actually pay for childcare for their employees. Yeah. And, and I know that's a big hairy mess, but is there an opportunity as companies try to think creatively to get the top talent into their organizations? So, um, I, and I know that, you know, that's way down the road, but it, it could be an option. Yeah. We incentivize, you know, through policies, all sorts of different um, things, you know, behaviors, types of industries, and it's hard to ignore the importance of childcare. Um, you just, it is never going away. It's, it's not going yeah. away. And you know, f- there's a whole bunch of organizations dedicated. I mean, they are dedicated to, um, women's employment mm-hmm. statuses, you know, to, to make sure that they have an equal, equal swing at things in, in the labor market. And a lot of it comes down to temporal flexibility. If you have to quit your job because you can't find a childcare provider, for say five, six, seven, eight years, and then you re-enter the labor market, you're you're behind. Yes. There's just there's no getting around that. Um, now, if you want to and you're willing to accept the decrease in probably lifelong wages, that's okay as long as you've made that decision. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing it because there's no other option, that's not necessarily the best outcome. Right. Right. Well, Luke, we could talk about this all day long. I think, um, but I want to thank you for your time yeah, today. You. If people have any questions, how can they reach you? Yeah. uh, Swing on by the house. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, You can email me at luke.griner, G-R-E-I-N-E-R, at state.mn.us. And right now, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Okay, great. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank you.